Hello, and welcome to Exit the Sage Door again, uh, the second time in two days. Yeah, I got into the fringe groove and I was able to snag an interview with Rachel Murray of Naked Theatre Company, uh, who is producing a show called Clickbait, which has its premiere on July 11th at 7 p.m. in the spring at the Alice Performing Arts Center. All of this information is in the show notes and uh, in the blog. Please, 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 please check it out. Check out Fringe. Um, do all of those things. It was a fascinating conversation with um, with Rachel about a really fascinating attempt at creating a new type of theater company for the 21st century that I, I was totally into. It was based on creative commons, it was based on open source, it's based on and bringing the subscribers and the audience into the process, investing them in the process, not just the product of a theater company, and what does that mean, and what are the difficulties of it, and uh, trying to do something other than the not-for-profit model that we're all so familiar with from regional theaters. It was a wonderful conversation. I'm super happy to be able to bring it to you. Uh, enjoy. Yeah? Did that? Okay. Okay. That looks good. <laughs> Okay, I'll get this guy started as well, and then we'll be off. I'll have to use the mouse a little bit just to keep the computer awake. Sure. <laughs> I always feel weird about doing it. It's like, no, I'm paying attention, I swear. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you uh, are Rachel Murray. I am. Of I am. Naked Theater Company. Naked Theater Company, yeah. I, I want to say on the record, thank you for uh, giving me some of your time after your tech rehearsal at Fringe. <laughs> sure, thank you for uh, for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. I um. So when I was doing a little bit of research on fringe shows, um, I review I review with uh, DC Metro Theater Arts. So I was oh, okay. like, did yeah. do the shows and then looking at what 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 uh, cropped up and what I was interested in. And I couldn't attend your performance, but the description of what of what your company does mm -hmm. got my attention uh, for two reasons. One, I am a huge computer nerd. I went to Case Western <laughs> Reserve University. Uh -huh. I installed Linux on my computer every month probably, basically all throughout college. So like the idea of theater as a sort of as an exercise in creative commons and in crowdsourcing and mm -hmm. in exploring devising theater collaboratively over the internet is a fascinating one to me and I'm very curious about your process and what you've discovered. And sure. I uh I work in not-for-profit uh, theater all the time. I'm a lighting and projection technician mm -hmm. and design assistant designer. So I've worked, I've worked at Shakespeare for two seasons as the board op at the Harmon and all of this. So like, I'm used to a very particular form of doing sure. theater, which, yeah. is <laughs> which is boards, corporate support, 501c3, all of these things. And mm -hmm. you have organized... I, well, you indicated some of this has changed, so mm -hmm. this, this <laughs> launches right into the conversation. But you organized as an LLC initially. Uh, yeah, um, we actually haven't done it yet because it hasn't been to our advantage. But that oh, was see. the okay. plan. Okay. Um, and it's still the plan. <laughs> okay. um, what you find is, is when you're a, a tiny, tiny company um, for tax purposes, yes. it almost doesn't make sense to incorporate until you grow a little bit. Yeah, I, um, I did the same for my freelancing business mm -hmm. um, to organize the LLC, uh, and it did require a certain income level exactly. to deal with mm -hmm. it because of the registered agent fees and all the things. Like LegalZoom mm -hmm. makes it easy and it's relatively simple, but it's still like a matter of, there's quite a bit of money mm -hmm. that you need as like a baseline totally. to get involved. So, mm -hmm. But I'm I definitely interested in the 
philosophy behind that? Sure. Um, so I think part of it was um, a little bit of like early to mid 20s angst <laughs> and like <laughs> thinking that I know, know everything. But, um, but also I think that um, I'm, what I'm interested in and what we sort of got to talking about in forming the company was how to start to ask questions about what's the typically accepted format of a theater company and whether that's the traditional 501c3 nonprofit status um, because a lot of time is really spent getting those grants and getting those donations and things like that. Um, you know, most regional theaters maybe make 40% of their budget from ticket sales, maybe. If they're lucky, um, yeah. And so that, like, learning that statistic, I remember I was shocked and um, was really curious of, is there a better way mm -hmm. to, to start to, especially with, we now have, like, the threat of, of NEA funding being right, cut yeah. and things like that. So... To me, I started asking those questions of, is that really a sustainable model if we really want people to start to keep coming to theater um, and to keep making theater and to not live in a box? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I, I will not, certainly not claim to have figured out that magic formula right, yet, yeah, yeah. but that was sort of the impetus and some of the talks about forming this company, where that began is, is sort of questioning those traditionally accepted norms and seeing yeah. what we can figure out. Yeah, I, I, I should have done more research on this, uh, just the history of re the regional theater movement and why it did what it did and how it developed in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. And I've worked for some of the, some really old ones, like the Alley Theater in Houston, mm -hmm. which was 1947 and Nine Advance, like literally in an alley. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. uh, like sending out a postcard for uh, subscribers at 10 cents a pop. Would you, do you want to see a, a theater in Houston? And that's, mm -hmm. how, that's how she got started. But no one really explains how the tax code gets involved, and it, what I do know is that, so I'm, I'm, this will lead up into a, a, a question to the, that there is no actual not-for-profit exemption specifically for theater. No, it's, it's an under education. education. Yeah, so. Yeah, which is also interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. So what research did you do leading up to that to discover that? Uh, um, really just reading a lot, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of books, a lot of, <laughs> weird, I know, a lot of internet <laughs> research, and, um, and sort of seeing what was out there. And I remember that too, thinking that we've kind of been shoehorned into like, yeah, it's somehow educational. Prove, prove you're educational and we'll, and you then can be a nonprofit yeah. as a theater, which is interesting to me. Yeah, um, well, and because I'm on a, I come from, I come at it from the production side. So mm -hmm. um, to me, the definition of a theater is, is, a, is a group of people who spend money to create a production. And why is the education department like that should be an adjunct to my mm -hmm. job, <laughs> but it's not because of the structure of the thing. So mm -hmm. like quite a lot of the resources of the theater have to be directly devoted at education just to begin because with. Because they earn have to that. have that status, yeah, exactly, yeah. Which is interesting. And I, I remember being really surprised that there wasn't a status for um, cultural enrichment. Right, exactly. Because <laughs> I think, I mean, that while I guess I could consider that educational, I don't think it's, I think it's a different, Thing and an important thing in and of itself, and so I, that, that was surprising to me to learn about yeah. about that status. Uh, I um, so one of my first in the weird coincidences in my life, one of the first jobs I had as a student at Case Western Reserve University was I worked for the Mendel Center for not-for-profit organizations, which had a specialization in arts management and training arts executives. Mm -hmm. um, did you? And I know that um, American University has has that. MA, I think. Um, I'm curious if you, uh, 
because I've toyed with like founding a theater company in the past myself, so I'm mm-hmm. definitely curious about like the the mode that you went about it, like the who'd you consult and how did you, how did you? Um, really. I mean, we're pretty young, so we're still (laughs) consulting people. And I think um, with each show that we produce, uh, this will be our third full production Mm -hmm. at Fringe. Um, And we've done some workshops and readings as well. But I think with each project we produce, we try to um, learn a little something new. Sure, yeah. And so I think that's more of an ongoing thing um, in terms of, and it's project specific, in terms of people that we talk to and consult with. and. Um, I know f- me myself. I've I've just tried to learn to be a better theater maker and producer, and and in day jobs that I've taken on and things mm-hmm. like that, and and sort of honing my skills in marketing and producing and things mm, like that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So speaking of learning, like mm-hmm. if you are, it sounds like there's a lot of learning from the ground up if you're trying to crowdsource yeah. slash open. Mm-hmm rehearsal process Mm -hmm. so how did that how did that idea come about as part of your so this was really interesting and I guess it sort of it relates back to that last question I started reading some old blogs of um I believe his name is Chris Ashworth he he came up with QLab he invented QLab oh yeah Mm -hmm. yep and he wrote an interesting blog post years ago about um how I think the analogy he used was that lumber companies, when they make the two-by-fours, they still sell the sawdust. Mm-hmm. Like that's still a, a mode of in- income for them. And that was a really interesting image. And we thought about how, because you put up a show, and you really hope and cross your fingers that people will come to this new show they've never heard of. But <laughs> yeah. um, the idea of, of getting investment in the process mm. and, and seeing if that was a way in of somehow either ensuring that people showed up to your show or yeah, sure, yeah. um, if there was another way into that to um, to to get more investment both from your patrons and yeah, yeah. and hopefully that would result financially as well that you, yeah you higher higher turnout higher ticket sales and I don't know, maybe there's a, a way in to monetize that. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's part of what I find really exciting about, about that decision, too, because it's a struggle um, for, for Shakespeare, for, for example. When we worked at Shakespeare, that, um, the board would have these lunches where they would try to pick the brains of the, of the people who were on staff, like, mm-hmm. which is really great. A lot of times your board isn't going to have any contact whatsoever with your production electrician. Mm-hmm. So that was really great. It's very informal. It's it's just it's just lunchtime. And that is one of the things that they were struggling with is, is engagement. Um, because especially Shakespeare theater, w- which is running on some uh, history and a history yeah. of a style of theater, um, you're kind of trapped into a presentational mode that, that sort of already wants the audience to not be there until a very particular time so participation mm. on 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 the way up is really hard to organize structurally because of how that works so you you do in many ways have to rethink like from the ground up the theater company to mm-hmm. include that kind of process yeah from the from the ground up rather than like figuring it out later because you're going to do a certain type of show so structurally mm-hmm. that's that's really interesting yeah and i and going back to what we were i was saying about um sort of learning with each show. Uh, the thing that we learned with our first show is when you don't have an audience at all, <laughs> it's really hard to yeah. get 
<laughs> those yeah. people interested in your process. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, they're not there. Um, so I think that's, and we also learned, I mean, we, when we first started, we just turned on a camera and live streamed our rehearsals. Yeah, okay. Um, with no equity actors, of course. Because um, that's not allowed. That is another structural um, a sort of impediment yeah, to startup also, culture for sure. Also a hurdle. Um, and what we found is, is it's hard to get people engaged in hours and hours of rehearsal. Oh, footage. yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's a cultural shift, too, of mm -hmm. just people don't have the attention span for it, especially when it's this weird new thing that they don't have no idea yeah. what it really is yet and what the for format is. And um, and so that that's what we did for our first show. Um, we learned from that in our second show. We did a short, sort of a shorter behind-the-scenes documentary mm -hmm. that we would play um, before the show. Um, and that was somewhat successful. I think people were somewhat interested. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think we have just, as in terms of content, gotten more interested in how humanity intersects with technology because mm -hmm. it's changing and developing so fast. Yeah. And so I think for our last couple of projects, that's sort of been where we've been honing in on and, and how to um, examine that angle. Um, and also, as you said, with, with open source format, formatting, is yeah. there a way to use theater and the internet as a creative, yeah. a creative commons to create something yeah. offline? Um, and we're still perfecting that as well. Yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, the, there's a couple things that, that are, um, for one, it seems like this is a really like head-on struggle with a network effect. Like, mm -hmm. if you had like a UCB style following, then sure. then there would already be that interest. So like the this sort of like the vine sort of climbs itself as mm -hmm. you as you go along. But how do you get that exactly. initial clump to to grow? It does seem like Cat Fringe is is kind of a a nice intersection uh, that allows people who are looking for happy accidents to be able to. Sure. To find you in a way that doesn't that it, there's there's a little less noise around you as you as you have this network of people who are very interested in new forms. Sure. Yeah, yeah. it's been uh, great too. As, as someone who produced a show at Fringe, having never done it before several years ago, um, it was great to have that knowledge base already in place. Of like, these are all your deadlines that right. you need to make, <laughs> and these are all the things you need to do by those dates. Um, and that was helpful to know as someone who had never produced a show right. by themselves yeah. before. Um, we did this production, I'd say we, like I still work on staff at Shakespeare because I don't, I, but I was yeah. brought in for the last half of the tech process for Taming of the Shrew, mm -hmm. um, I, I, uh, which the director of that um, at Iskander, like what he, he specializes in it in like, I don't want to call it exactly happenings, but the idea is like someone explained to me mm -hmm. that one of his shows was in a living room and it was like five hours long and there was soup and like the audience was wrapped into the performance of it and they tr yeah and figuring out how to do that at shakespeare was a very interesting like reveal of like revealed preferences kind of thing like they can talk about yeah we want to include the audience but when he's like i found and this is this is particularly myself right so like mm -hmm. the 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 design had these golden balls that were hung and they're they're lit up so that um, it feels like an extension of the palazzo that's in the that they set up in the lobbies and it's sort of like guides your eye down from the balcony onto the stage and we hung them initially and I was like making sure very carefully that none of the balls were in anyone's sight lines and and then the designer's like no 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 and he's got lower 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 like, but this person can't and like oh this is 
I'm resisting their idea of the play because I think that everyone has to see this particular mm. set of action. But the director's already decided that this design element is more important. The obstruction is okay because he's going to work around it as part of sure. that. And the one thing that broke everyone's brain, though, it wasn't an intermission. It was, they called it an intermezzo. Uh-huh. So they had this giant rotating set and they had a party. <laughs> they invited everybody onto the stage. They had champagne flutes and cake pops. And, and the patrons were allowed on stage. Now the first time this happened was kind of a disaster. Like people like pulled each other up from the, from the, there's like a four foot gap from the very front yeah. row up to the stage and there's footlights and people were like trying to, <laughs> no one really knew what they were doing at that point because um, it was so completely different. Yeah. And then people started taking pictures of the actors up close because they were right there and we're all like, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have, we didn't get any of those permissions yet. Oops. We're going to have to, yeah, yeah, that's inevitable, isn't it? Like, yeah, you're not you, gonna, can't, <laughs> you can't stop that. <laughs> I mean, you can try, but that kind of ruins the party. Yeah, yeah, and there's only like, there's only like four ushers and you all of a sudden have 50 people. You're going to... You can't tackle all of them. There's yeah. just no way. So, yeah, I, it was such an interesting experience um, mm-hmm. having, like, someone in Shakespeare, like, really try to, like, bring us to yeah. have those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's really interesting, too, and something that I think has been a hurdle in some ways, as I mentioned before, for us is institutions that are already in place in yeah, theater mm-hmm. that do have rules like that, that you cannot take pictures of the set and the actors. But in a world where people take selfies all the time, and at any moment anyone can just pull out a camera, how do you how do you keep people engaged in it and not, and not feel like you're their mom telling yeah. them to like... <laughs> You know what I mean? And, yeah, and I think that like yeah. those kinds of, of things are, are worth exploring and talking about. Yeah. Um, of how, how theater kind of works with um, reality of, right, yeah. of the world and how, you know, I mean, there's a whole other conversation of union rules and things like that. And yeah. of course, mm-hmm. there are, were good reasons for those things to be in place. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, finding that balance is, right. is important, I think. Yeah, putting, putting that in, in the right perspective to make sure everybody can succeed as they try to figure things out because theater's an immune to that kind of technological and sociological change. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. Um, well, uh, we should talk about clickbait then yeah. as well, since that's the project that you have right now at Cap Fringe. Yeah. Which you just got out of your rehearsal for. Yeah, we just got out of tech for that, um, which was, was crazy because... Um, <laughs> Well, the show has a lot of cues. It's the most, probably the most cue-heavy French okay. show I've done. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I think yeah, because you describe it as vignette style. So yeah, it's um, a lot of the devising was done using improv exercises and okay. and sort of a, pro- a sketch comedy kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, we we sort of honed the script from all the good stuff that we found when we filmed our our improvised scenes. And um, so it's it's. It's in the vein of maybe an SNL or a Mad TV. But oh, okay. I think okay. a step be a little kookier than that, okay. um, <laughs> in a way. And um, I, I think it's a lot of fun. It's kind of my one of has been sort of my my baby for the last year and a half, two years. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So living with it for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we. 
so the are you going to incorporate them as projections and live like interactions as well? Uh, like you talked uh, no about filming. The, okay, I see. No like, so the filming. The filming was part was, of the devising process gotcha, okay. for us to be able to go back to later. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, but no projections. Um, we uh, we're, we're putting the internet on stage the old-fashioned way. Oh, fascinating! And performing it live. Oh, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I I love. Uh, one of the books that I really like is uh, Empty Space, Peter mm-hmm. Brook, mm-hmm. talking about directing, and he and I love the way that he thinks about this. He says because he talks about like you should never make you should never strive to make your theater like the perfect place to work, because obstacles are mm. not uh, obstacles and obstructions are not things that get in the way of your creativity. They're the things that spark your creativity. I think that's totally true. Having a very shoestring budget. I think that limitation <laughs> alone makes you incredibly creative. Yeah, yeah. And think of really interesting ways to problem solve and troubleshoot. <laughs> I buy that, yeah. Yeah, so this is the, the idea of trying to do, like, I don't know, I mean, I, well, I say I don't necessarily admit to trolling lolcats or anything like that, but I do spend quite a lot of time on Twitter, so I know them, I see yeah. them. Yeah. And that idea of putting that in, like, in person yeah. is very intriguing. And there is some of that. There is some of the, the ripped from the internet headline stuff. <laughs> um, but I think what we tried to sort of get into also is sort of what the internet does to real life. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's in there somewhere, um, hopefully. But, um, but that's been really interesting, too, of, of how online culture shapes in-person culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we've had a lot of discussions about that in devising sessions and rehearsals. Yeah, that is uh, the sort of like the key question for society right now. Yeah, (laughs) and I think we've seen that have um, effects on the world stage recently without getting super into politics. I think that's definitely true (laughs) that it has affected our real lives. Yeah. Um, Well, that's... There's a lot of big ideas at work in your theater company and in with this uh, and in this show. So it is, but I do want to say the show is a lot of fun. Yeah, okay, so we should mention it's a um, comedy. It, it's not like a think piece on <laughs> internet culture. It is uh, a lot of fun. It's the most I've ever laughed throughout a rehearsal process. Um, these actors are doing excellent work. They're hilariously great and um, really silly. And <laughs> okay. It's a great time. All right. Well, the, and your premiere is at uh, July 11th. Yes, Tuesday. On 7 p.m.? Mm-hmm. And 7 you're p.m. in the Springer at we Alice Performing Arts. We are in the Springer. Arts. Okay. Uh, I'll put all of that. This, uh, the, the post has to go up as a blog post. Okay. Um, so I'll put that in the show notes, essentially. Um, is there anything else that you would like to plug? Uh, I don't think so. Clickbait is, is where I'm at right now, so <laughs> okay. come see it. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for giving me some of your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Appreciate it.